you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Jonah. We'll be in chapters 1 and 2 this evening. Whenever we read any individual book within the scriptures, we're reading not merely the words of a human author, but ultimately we are reading words breathed out by God, who is the divine author. And because this is true, because there is ultimately a divine author working in, through, and behind the biblical writers, the very lives of those whom fill the pages of Scripture are often used by God to point to something much greater than the historical details of the lives that they lived. Their lives are paintings of what our God has promised to do in the world, how he has declared that sin has brought death, and that a resurrection is coming for all of those who are covered by the blood of a divine lamb. And this is what I hope to put forward through the first half of Jonah this evening, that Jonah's very life was intended by God to be a living illustration, a cinematic picture, if you will, of the state of his home, Israel, that Jonah was a prophet like many others who embodied his message, though in this case he did not embody it intentionally. And as we see how Jonah's life pictures that of Israel, we'll also see how his life pictures our own journey as spiritual Israelites, to use the Apostle Paul's language, as well as that of the preeminent fulfillment of both Jonah and the nation whom he represents, the true Son of God, our Lord Jesus. This is a book that we are all very familiar with, yet it's one that is often left half-read. We so often fly through its tale of a prophet, a fish, and a city without realizing that this story has been breathed out by God, not merely for the sake of evangelistic encouragement, which is often where we leave the application of this book, but ultimately it's been given to us by God for the sake of being a theological revelation of the one who would come to earth, obey Yahweh's covenant, taking on the death facing all of us in order that we may rise and ascend out of that shadowy death with him, bringing us with him all who believe upon him. And so just as the prophets in this book, Jonah just as his only hope of being spit out of the waters of death, so to speak, resided in the sovereign power of God, so to our only hope in life and in death resides in the perfect person and work of our greater Jonah, the divine prophet Jesus. So with that said, let's read these first two chapters and we will move through it. This is the word of the Lord. The word of Yahweh came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Now Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. 
But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Now the captain approached him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we will not perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. And then we will know who is to blame for the trouble that we are in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. And they said to him, tell us, who is to blame for this trouble we are in? What is your business, and where are you from? What is your country, and what people are you from? He answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were seized with a great fear. And they said to him, what is this that you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he told them. And so they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so it'll be, it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not because the sea was raging against them more and more. And so they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us perish because of this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. And the men were seized by a great fear of the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Now the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of this fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol, and you heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the hearts of the sea. All the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows, they swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet, I look once more towards your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Sweetweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. But then you raised my life from the pit. Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love, but as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed, for salvation belongs to the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon dry land. Let us pray. Holy Father, we just come to you humbly tonight asking for illumination, that you would open up your word to us by your spirit and that you would show us, Lord, your person and your work preeminently in and through our Lord Jesus, our great prophet. 
And I pray all of this through him. Amen. The first thing we see as we kind of approach chapter one is a flight into death. This short book opens up with a command from Yahweh to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach it against it because their evil has come up before me. Now, to Jonah, these would have been welcome words, or at least part of the command would have been welcome. He would have been thrilled, right, with the idea that the evils of Assyria were finally being brought to before Yahweh's court of judgment, so to speak. Assyria was knocking on Israel's front door, just waiting for a moment to finally land its final strike upon this dwindling nation. But there's another part of this command that Jonah clearly was not thrilled about. The call to preach, to prophesy to the nation whom Jonah hated, an emotion that becomes more evident as the book unfolds, was not welcome to Jonah's ears. And his response demonstrates this. Instead of being the obedient prophet, Jonah is the prophet who flees from God, naively acting as he can hide from the Lord's presence. That refrain is used over and over again in the first chapter, from the presence of the Lord. Now, to some degree, one could understand why or how Jonah could have kind of contrived it in his mind that he could escape the presence of God. God's presence was symbolically tied in a very particular way to the temple, which Jonah mentions in chapter 2, and even more broadly to the promised land itself. So, in some ways, it's understandable that Jonah could have foolishly thought to himself that, well, if I leave God's land, if I leave the presence of the temple, then maybe I can avoid the judging eyes of God. Now, we can all sit and reflect on that foolishness, but we too, right, so often walk through our days as if the Lord does not see. And so like Jonah, right, he goes down to Joppa, finds a ship going to Tarshish, which at the time would have been literally the very edge of the known world, hoping to avert Yahweh's call. And all this is highly ironic, particularly because of Jonah's family name. He's the son of Amittai, right? And his father's name in Hebrew literally means faithfulness. So Jonah, the son of faithfulness, is here being anything but a faithful son. He's rather playing the role of the unfaithful one, a point that we'll address in a moment. But things quickly go awry for this fleeing prophet. Yahweh, whose eyes see all things, brings a storm upon the waters, Right? A storm fierce enough to threaten the integrity of the ship itself. Jonah's sin is not merely affecting his own life, but the lives of those upon the ship who are ignorant of this rebellious flight that this Hebrew is on. And as the crew is tossing as much overboard as they can, the prophet is, uh, interestingly, sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Now the captain comes down, exhorting him to call upon his God because they've called upon theirs. Nothing has happened. Now it's intriguing as well to note that this pagan captain seems to have much more awareness of Yahweh's actions than Yahweh's own prophet. He's laying in the middle of the boat. The other sailors cast lots, inquiring as to who is the reason for their peril. And what would you know, right, under the 
sovereign hand of God, the lots fall upon the prophet Jonah. The crew understandably demand that Jonah explain himself. And so Jonah does, and he explains that he's a prophet of Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth. And so he tells them that if you want this to stop, you need to throw me over the boat, because it is me that is to blame. The sailors, though, keep rowing. They think, well, maybe we can just row hard enough, we'll get to shore. God stops them in their path, and so they have to resort to Jonah's advice. And they cast him over, offering him as a sacrifice, in a way, to the depths of the sea. And after they throw him over, the sailors are wrought with fear of God, who has offered this one, this man, and in doing so, he has, in a way, redeemed their life, which is another point that we'll come back to in a moment. But as Jonah sinks down, God appoints a fish to swallow Jonah up, and Jonah dwells within the belly of that fish for a providential three days and three nights. Yet another symbolic reality that possesses much for us to chew upon. And so with kind of the story in mind, let's dive down into the theological depths of the sea of this text, so to speak. As I've mentioned at the beginning, Jonah is embodying Yahweh's message, though he does not, and he does so, sorry, not merely to the pagans whom he interacts with, but also to the audience of this book. Right, think about it. This book originally was penned to Israelites. Right? Jonah is embodying, right, in his life, right, his flight away from God, he's embodying the covenant-breaking behavior of the nation whom he represents. That Jonah like Israel, has become the unfaithful son, the unfaithful servant. And instead of being a prophet of God to Assyria, that he's commanded to do, instead of being a light to the nations, like Israel was commanded to be, Jonah has chosen to flee from his task. He's chosen to break covenant with God in order to run and to hide. However, there is nowhere for Jonah or for Israel broadly to hide. And just as Israel's covenant breaking has a promised curse that comes along with it, so too Jonah experiences the judgment of God. Jonah is banished into the belly of a fish, which is akin to the banishment or the exile that is soon coming upon the nation of Israel from the land that God had given to them, all because they had fled covenantally from God. It's no accident that Jonah is dragged down into rather chaotic waters. For waters, all throughout the scriptures, and particularly the Old Testament, are a symbol for death. And so in symbolic fashion, the prophet has been sacrificed unto death in order to reside in death's belly for three days and three nights. But as noted a minute ago, Right, Jonah is embodying his message to these pagans. Right, this symbolic sacrifice is being thrown over the edge of the boat has led to the life of these sailors. These pagans seemingly have become converted. 
which is a massive irony in the story. Right? Jonah's fleeing Yahweh's call to him with no desire to be a prophet to the nations, and yet despite this rebellion, Yahweh has chosen to make Jonah's very life a sermon, so to speak, that will lead to the conversion of these Gentiles anyway. And this is yet another way in which God is revealing his heart to redeem a bride, a nation of priests from every tribe, tongue, and nation, even as his prophets, his messengers, are so often unfaithful. God is showing that he will do it. But the purpose of the connection between Jonah and Israel is not the end of the story. Right, this connection, this reality that Jonah's life is a picture of a greater reality is ultimately drawing a line from Jonah to a greater son of faithfulness. Right, as we think about the story, if anything is clear, it is that Israel and all of humanity, the Gentiles, need a greater prophet. It needs a faithful son the son, the servant, the prophet, that Israel and that Jonah could not be. And our Lord Jesus is this faithful son. And we know that because, in fact, our Lord Jesus himself uses this story when speaking to his own death and resurrection. In Matthew 12, verses 39 to 41, Jesus says this, An evil and an adulterous generation demands a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching and look. Something greater than Jonah is here. Right? Jesus is giving us the meaning of Jonah's life. Right? He's giving us a hermeneutic, a way of reading right, that we are to use to see how Christ has revealed himself to us in and through the life and the story of this prophet Jonah. Right? To use the framework that I began the sermon with, Our Lord Jesus is showing us what the divine author, what God himself, right, intended with the literal life and the writing of this book of Jonah. And the intention of God in breathing out this book for us is ultimately to make much of the Father's sending of a greater son, a greater prophet, who will redeem a chosen bride by the power of the Spirit. So as we just meditate upon the story, we can say that Christ is very much here, beloved. But there's more to say on that in a bit. As we think about what this first chapter has to say to us, more practically, there's so much within the text that fleshes itself out in our own lives, but I want to focus on just merely two things. Jonah's story is a needed reminder that there is no such thing as individual sins that have no bearing upon the lives of those around us. Jonah's rebellion almost led to the literal death of the sailors who ignorantly harbored him. And in similar fashion, our own sins, whether they're done privately or publicly, will always do damage 
to our relationships with those whom God has put around us. Right? And why is that the case? Why is it that even the sins that we harbor in our hearts do damage to those around us? It's because in those sinful moments, whether we're doing them to somebody's face or in our own hearts, right? as Scripture reminds us over and over again, right, we are not loving our neighbor. Even, our, even in our hearts, when we murder, when we hate another, when we slander another with our words, that affects the way in which we live with that person. It affects how we speak to them, how we think about them, how we see them. Similarly, when we lust in our hearts, objectifying an image bearer of God, that will affect the way that we walk and we talk with that image bearer and others around us. When we covet, when we choose not to be content with what God has given, we grow jealous of those whom God has providentially chosen to give more to. And we'll be led to think about that person in an unloving manner, even if we never convey those thoughts to that person. And thus Jonah's story, what we see him and his particularly his interactions with the sailors, is a reminder of the social effects, even of our private sins, or the effects they have upon our neighbors, whom we are called to love, and most importantly, the effect they have upon our Lord. But the other thing I want us to meditate on an application is that Jonah's flight manifests our own. Whether that be a flight due to utter unbelief or a flight even as a believer like Jonah towards those sins that we so often choose to run to, by hiding in the deep dark corners of the proverbial ship in which we live, if I can use Jonah's metaphor. This text is calling for our reflection. Are you sitting within the sound of my voice? Are you fleeing the Lord this evening? Are you running away in unbelief, in unrepentance, wanting a life consumed with the things of the world? Or are you a believer? Are you running? Whether that be to your lusts, your pride, your greed, your fear, Right, to both groups, believer and unbeliever, this text has a simple word to you. Fix your hopes upon the prophet who never ran. Right. Find the rest. Right. This world and its worldly pleasures can never give you. Right, In our greater Jonah, who obeyed the call of his father in your stead. And as we'll get to in a moment, who rose from the depths of earth's belly in order to bring new creation life, that eternal life that the Spirit gives upon all of those who bear his name through faith, through believing that this work of his, that is coming to die and to rise, is their only hope in life and death. And on that note, let's move towards the second chapter of Jonah. The prophet lies in the depths of the belly of this great fish, and within it he cries out to Yahweh in penitent prayer, at least in some form. And it's interesting how Jonah is describing his experience in this fish. Right? He sees right, his life, what he's living in the fish. 
as a symbol for Sheol, right? That biblical pit that the Psalms speak so much of. Right? And again, this kind of idea of how Jonah's describing his experience bolsters what I described earlier, that Jonah's descent into the heart of the sea, so to speak, is a symbolic descent into death. Even Jonah understands that his experience has spiritual connotations. Similarly, right, as I noted earlier as well, that this descent into the belly of the fish is an exile of sorts, which Jonah literally affirms through his words, saying that, Lord, I have been banished. I've been exiled from your sight. Yet, right, in the midst of this exile, in the midst of this banishment to the belly of a beast, this descent into the waters of death, Jonah looks to the presence of God. He looks and he meditates upon the temple of the Lord, that symbol of Yahweh dwelling in their midst, and he meditates upon the presence and the person of God. He cries out, right, that even though he is in the pit, even though he is in kind of a symbol of death, that his life has been raised from that pit. That Jonah believes that his prayer has been heard from the temple and that he's resolute, at least for the current moment, that he's going to fulfill the vow given to him. And so he will arise and be a light to Assyria, knowing that salvation belongs to God alone. And as this declaration, as this prayer ends, Yahweh commands the fish to vomit him back onto dry land with the rest of the story to tell how this prophet is going to fulfill the task that was given to him. And now thinking about the prayer, it can be difficult to discern all that's going on in it because as will be seen in the latter chapters, Jonah is not a completely repentant man. Right? He goes on to preach what amounts to half a gospel, really. He goes merely preaching wrath. We don't see any mention of forgiveness. And he sits upon the hillside after preaching to the Ninevites, criticizing Yahweh for simply being who he is, merciful, compassionate to sinful rebels like the Ninevites. Yet, right, even though Jonah... Right, throughout the story, is no perfect prophet. Right, he does not respond from this prayer in the most faithful of ways. His prayer still preaches a beautiful word to us. Jonah's only hope of being spit out of the belly of the fish, which is described almost as a resurrection of sorts, right, lies in the sovereign power of God who created both he and the creature. Right? Jonah has no power in this fish to stand up, to tap it on its belly, and say, hey, let me out. Right? He can't, he, there, there can be no literal communication between the two. Right? Jonah is, in a word, hopeless, according to his own power. But what is impossible for Jonah is all possible for the sovereign Lord. Yahweh causes the fish to spin him out, and just as Jonah's, Three days in the belly of this fish symbolize an exile death. So the vomiting out symbolizes resurrection unto new life. Right? And how can I say that? It's because Jesus implies that in the message from Matthew that I mentioned earlier, and even further on with his very life. 
Just as Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights, so too the Son of Man, Jesus, must reside in the belly of the earth, of hell, to use the language of the Apostles' Creed, in order to obtain the keys to death and hell and to rise to new life, bringing resurrection, hope, and victory to all who he sacrificed himself for. So as we think about being in the belly of this fish, we're given a revelation of the good news of our Lord Jesus. Right? And this is true not merely for us 2,000 years later, but it was for those Israelites reading this text when it was first penned. They were intended, right? those first reading this book were intended to see their need for a greater prophet, a truer redemption from the depths of Sheol. And as they read this text, They were to see that, which is why Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, is so harsh with the Jews, using the perpetual refrain, have you not read? Have you not understood that all of your scriptures, Jonah included, is about me, the Christ? But like the Pharisees, Israel, by and large, responded to even the literal fulfillment of the symbolism of this text in their life, right? Their own descent into exile, they're being brought back to the land. They responded in yet more unbelief. They returned home, being vomited out of Babylon, if you want to use that language, living again as faithless children. Like Jonah, wallowing in anger as Yahweh continues to work to redeem the nations for himself. So so as we think about the first half of the story of Jonah, beloved, I want us to see that we so desperately need the greater prophet that this book testifies to. And so again, I want to ask the unbeliever in the room and to say that you are the Jonah of this story except you have no life within your spiritual bones. You're like him, the fish. You're dead inside the pit with no power to raise yourself to life. And it is in this state of spiritual death, it's in this hopelessness that your greater Jonah comes to you. You, as in Jonah's prayer here, have cherished worthless idols. You have abandoned what is truly love, And yet, in the midst of this rebellious flight that you're on, your greater Jonah came. He never cherished idols. He never abandoned faithful love. He obeyed the task given to him by God the Father, or that you, unbeliever, if you repent of your worthless pursuit of hopeless pleasure, the hope that you may rise to new life, to be a part of his kingdom, to be his Jonah, bearing his name to the world around you. So the call is for you to heed the life of the prophet. If his rebellion led to a descent into chaos, how much more will your rebellion lead into a descent into an eternal chaos, an eternal exile and banishment, but one which will not end like Jonah's, You will not be resurrected, spit out. You will remain there.
forever. But now, right, this evening, is the day of salvation. As Jonah cries out at the end of this prayer, salvation belongs to the triune God. And he freely offers it to you because of the work of your greater Jonah. And to the believers in the room, we as well are in great need of our greater prophet this evening. Like Jonah, we have all fled in various ways. Even this week, we've run to worthless pleasures. We've been careless with our words. We've reacted in sinful anger to our children. We've rebelled against our bosses in our hearts. We have not walked in love as we ought. We have sinned against our neighbors and friends. And yet in the midst of this flight, this sinful failure, the greater Jonah comes with hope and rest for you. Right, this week you have fled, but Jesus never did. He obeyed perfectly. He spoke true and perfectly loving words to all of those around him and has imputed that righteousness upon you. He has robed you with his royal robes. And so, beloved, in the midst of all of our rebellious flights, may we look towards the very incarnate dwelling of the Most High, who is Christ himself. May we cry out with our sins, knowing that our Lord has surely raised us up from our lifeless pit. He's vomited us out into new life, and he has filled us with his spirit, that we, like Jonah, might walk forward into the cities of man, loving God, loving neighbor, and proclaiming his good gospel to all those around us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you needy this evening. Lord, resting alone in the work of our greater Jonah, who never fled. Lord, who was sent here to obey perfectly, who did. Lord, who descended into the depths of the earth in order to rise again to bring life to all of those attached to him in faith. Lord, I pray that we would arise and go out of this place this evening, Lord, treasuring our greater Jonah, Lord, loving God and neighbor in the city of man that you have placed us, Lord, and that you would redeem the lives of those who are in the pit this evening, dead in their unbelief. Lord, may you raise them from that death. We pray all these things in the name of our greater Jonah, Christ himself. Amen.